Well, I invite you to once again turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are some Bibles available on the back table, or simply open your bulletin and you can find the passage we're going to look at today in the insert found in your bulletin. I want to again welcome those of you who are visiting this morning. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we study the Bible at Ascension. That's what we do. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And most recently, we have been making our way through this gospel account of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, the very end of chapter 10 is where we find ourselves this morning. Now, if you have been here week in and week out, if you're a regular attender or a member, um, you might remember that verse 46, which is the passage that begins your uh, bulletin insert, is not where we left off when we were last in the book of Mark. And if that is true of you, good for you, for remembering, for being perceptive, Some of you are like, oh, I didn't remember where we were two weeks ago. Well, where we were two weeks ago was we were in the story of the rich young ruler. And that story ends uh, way before uh, verse 46 of chapter 10. That that, uh, story ends at verse 31. But you'll remember that several weeks before that, back in, I think it was chapter 9 or chapter 8, we looked at a passage where the disciples came to Jesus and they were arguing about who the greatest of them was. And when we looked at that passage about a chapter back, we brought this passage in chapter 10 verses uh, 35 through 45, this passage where James and John come to Jesus and, and ask for those seats of glory beside the Savior uh, in glory. Um, and we lump those two together because they were so similar in regards to what it was revealing about the disciples' hearts and about our hearts. So, I'm not skipping some controversial passage. That's the one thing you can't get away with doing when you preach through books of the Bible. You just come to the next passage, but we are uh, staying on track. Um, In God's providence, it's fitting that the last taste in our mouth from the book of Mark was the story of the rich young ruler, Uh, because that account and this account that we are about to read really stand in contrast to one another in a lot of ways. And I think you'll see what I mean by that as we read it, as you listen to it, as we begin to walk through it together. And so Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter, verse 52. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand uh, as God's word is being read this morning. Listen as I read Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. 
And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I don't want you to miss how this passage ends. Immediately, he recovered his sight. Such a simple statement, but one with profound significance. And yet, because we just read it, because we are so far removed of it, because some of us have heard it a hundred times, we can lose some of the sense of its impact. I encourage you to not let it be lost. This happened in time and in space. This isn't street magic. This isn't some set up scam that Jesus is creating. You and I have never seen anything like this before. This, as we have seen before in the book of Mark, is a life that forever will be changed. So the question is, why is it here? Why is it here? This is actually the last healing miracle that the book of Mark records. So is this just the last hurrah? Is this just the last opportunity for us to sit back, to stand in awe at the glory of Jesus incarnate? Well, before I get to what I think is the primary point of this passage, I want to I set the stage a little bit for what Mark is doing. See, as we pick up our story, as we pick up this account of the life of Jesus in the book of Mark, as we come to this passage, we come to a passage that contrary to feeling rushed, has all these uncharacteristic details that Mark usually isn't concerned about. Did you notice that? I mean, Mark is usually, he has been up into this point, he's been in such a hurry. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And here, he names where we are. He names the people involved. Right? First, he tells us that we're in Jericho. And he reminds us that Jesus is on a trajectory. Jesus is headed somewhere. We're about 15 miles northeast now of Jerusalem. And Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Because that is where it's all going to go down. That is where, as he said in verse 45, the Son of Man is going to give his life as a ransom for many. And so he tells us about Jericho and this trajectory that Jesus is on. And then second, we learned of Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. 
Now, it's a bit redundant what he says here. Did you notice that? Bar is the Aramaic prefix for son of. So he's basically saying, Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. And we don't know exactly why he's doing that, but we think he's doing that because he's writing to Gentiles who wouldn't be familiar, as familiar with that prefix as most of his Jewish audience would be. Maybe also he's naming Bartimaeus because Bartimaeus is known in the early church at this time. This is the only, this is the only healed person in the Gospels that is named. At least in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John, the only other one that is healed that is named is Jesus' friend, Lazarus who is raised from the dead. And so here, Mark draws out his name. He draws out where they are. He draws out his name. And yet the way that Mark presents this miracle of Jesus is not just detailed, but it's intentional. And in many ways, this miracle, while recorded by Matthew and Luke, the way Mark records it, is in a way that's almost representative of Jesus' ministry. Up until this point, as we have been seeing, Mark has been painting us a portrait of Jesus, of the person and work of Jesus. And this account in Matthew chapter 10, at the very end, serves in many ways as a fulcrum. As we move from this portrait of the person of Jesus to now the sufferings, and sacrifice of the one who is headed to Jerusalem. And so, yes, the miracle is here certainly to demonstrate again, whoa, Jesus is no mere man. Jesus is no mere teacher. Yes, it demonstrates Jesus' power and it demonstrates Jesus' compassion. But more than that, this is a living parable, this story of what Jesus came to do. And I want to show you that as we meditate upon two truths this morning. And the first one is simply this. Jesus came to give us sight. Jesus came to give sight. If you're like me, you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine a life like Bartimaeus. An entire life shrouded in darkness. But let's think about Bartimaeus for a moment. Bartimaeus likely had his routine with the help of family or friends or maybe through his own individual struggle. Each day he would make his way to the main road just outside of Jericho. And every day for maybe years, we don't know that much about him. We're not sure. But he would spread his cloak before him and he would ask for the help, the generosity of those who passed him by. No sign, no guitar, no cute little puppy by his side, just a feeble man in need, an outsider by the side of the road. Now this time, this particular time, 
was a lucrative time for Bartimaeus because this was the time of the Passover. The Passover was quick approaching and the Passover was this significant celebration in Jewish history where so many would be traveling out of the city to Jerusalem to commemorate. And so the road would be packed. Quite possibly people feeling a bit more generous as they celebrated the Passover would throw a little more coin Bartimaeus' way. So here on this day, as Mark records it, as Peter witnessed it, Bartimaeus found his spot. And as he's sitting there, his heightened sense of hearing picks up an added buzz in the crowd. Is that Jesus? People are saying. It is. It's Jesus of Nazareth. It's that healer. Now, Bartimaeus had heard the stories. He had heard about the teaching. He had heard about the compassion. He had heard about the miracles. And Bartimaeus knew the promises of God. He knew that there was a Messiah coming. One from the line of David. And so Bartimaeus put all the pieces together and cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now we're going to go into all the details of all that went down after he said that phrase. But the end result is this. Bartimaeus, his sight was restored. For real. The brokenness of his eyes and the darkness that had plagued him for who knows how many years was now gone. And his body and his world was made right again. Once again, we see Jesus' compassion, Jesus' love for the marginalized, and his power to heal on full display. But as we've learned before, brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't come to earth to heal. He's done it plenty of times, but he didn't come to heal. There will always be more to heal. No, Jesus came to give himself as a life, as a ransom for many. Jesus came to proclaim a kingdom. He came to proclaim himself as a king. He came that people might not just see, but see him. And that's exactly what Mark is reminding us here this morning. Jesus came to give us sight, but not just came to give us good eyes, 20-20 vision. Jesus came in order that we might see him. And so that makes this story more than just an emotional story about a blind man receiving sight, although it is. This is actually a story. This is actually a scene that's a scene full of blind people. Everybody here is blind, and they all need to see Jesus. Listen to the prophecy of Isaiah 42. The prophet says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Isaiah speaks of a light for the nations. He's talking about more than just mere sight. Jesus came that people might see him, the light of the world. 
And remember just a few chapters back in our study of the book of Mark, in chapter 8, Jesus says in chapter 8, verse 18, to his disciples, after he has just fed 4,000 people on a hillside, he says, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not understand? I'm right here. I did this. Bread, bread of life, hunger, hunger, satisfaction, feed, satisfaction, feed. And it wasn't registering. And indeed, they were struggling to understand. In the very next account, Jesus heals a blind man in Bethsaida. And he does it, remember, in two stages. Remember the blind man says, I can kind of see, but it kind of looks like trees. And we were reminded that this is an ongoing process for the disciples, that seeing Jesus clearly can take time. And yet that's the goal for all of us in this room, for everyone made in the image of God. Jesus came to give you sight. Jesus came to show you himself. Paul teaches the church in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Paul prays for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. But here's the thing. In both of these passages that I just read, both of them zero in on it. We not only need to see Jesus, but we need Jesus in order to see. You've heard of the phrase, the blind leading the blind. Bartimaeus is an example of the blind leading those who can supposedly see. Bartimaeus is the one who sees. Helen Keller, the well-known blind author of the 20th century, once is quoted as saying, better to be blind and to see with the heart than to have two good eyes and to see nothing. That's what this passage is about. That's what Bartimaeus shows us. See, Bartimaeus had been given the ability to see Jesus despite his inability to see anything. And so he calls out to Jesus, but Jesus calls out to him. But that calling happened long before this day ever came to pass. This wasn't just a shot in the dark by Bartimaeus. This was a declaration of belief. And we see it in the very way that he addresses Jesus. Jesus, son of David, it's the only time Jesus is ever addressed this way. It's the only person who ever takes son of David on their lips. Because Bartimaeus, in his blindness, has believed the promise that this man, who I can't see, but I've heard about, is the one that we have all waited for. And then he says, have mercy on me. 
That's not a new phrase. That phrase is littered all over the Psalter, but every time it's a prayer of God's people to who? To Yahweh. Have mercy on me, Yahweh. Bartimaeus, just in this simple phrase, he doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, heal me. Jesus, son of David, the Messiah, I know who you are. Have mercy on me. I know that you're God. How in the world? Jesus came to give sight. He gave Bartimaeus sight. But even before his eyes were open, Bartimaeus saw. And that too for was from God. So the message, the call of the gospel is, do you see him? Do you see Jesus, the one who we've been singing about, the one who is proclaimed here, the one who gave his life as a ransom for you? Oh, if you're struggling to see him this morning, cry out to him that you might see That's the first thing that Mark and the Holy Spirit declares to us this morning, but there's another, and it's our second truth. It's this, not only does Jesus come to give us sight, but Jesus invites you, Jesus invites you to a gutsy faith. Jesus invites you to a gutsy faith. Brothers and sisters, We've been studying the life of Jesus, and they're strewn all across his life. Men and women given the ability to see and given the boldness to step out in faith. The men, the men, the friends who brought their friend on a mat to the door, and the the house was too full, they couldn't get him in. Did they give up? Did they go home? No, they went to the roof, and they busted through the roof. They made a commotion, dirt falling from the ceiling, and they lowered their friend in in order that he might be made whole. The woman, shamed by years of bleeding, ostracized by the community because of her uncleanness, presses and pushes her way through the crowd just so she can get a touch of the hem of his garment. The Gentile woman who knows her place and yet says, Jesus, even the dogs receive the crumbs from the table. Just give me a little something. That's all I need. Or the centurion who knew that Jesus didn't even have to show up in order to do what needed to be done. Jesus loves and rewards this kind of bold faith. And we see it again here this morning. By God's grace and by God's gift, Bartimaeus and his faith, while not the cure itself, is the means to the cure. And his faith is not only the means to his healing, but the means to his salvation. And his actions, Bartimaeus' simple actions, show us, I think, at least four aspects of the kind of gutsy faith that Jesus loves. And friends, these are not just characteristics for a faith that is brand new. 
that's never come to Jesus. These are characteristics of a faith that is long seasoned and yet still growing, still pressing ever more that you might see and know Jesus more. Four things, and we'll conclude with this. Four things about Bartimaeus' faith. First of all, he knew his need. Bartimaeus knew his need. And you're saying, of course he did. Yeah, of course he did. Bartimaeus was broken. His condition and his need were ever before him and he had nothing to offer Jesus. He knew that. And his only appeal was for mercy. And contrast this with the state of the rich young man who came to Jesus asking for eternal life. Jesus said to the man who had everything, sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and come follow me. And the man couldn't do it because he was blinded to his own need. And how many in our own culture are kept from Jesus because of this. Because we can't see our need. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. But realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Bartimaeus reminds us that in a world in a culture of comfort, in a culture of prosperity, we must recognize our spiritual barrenness. And like a little child, like a blind beggar, we come to Jesus in need and we never stop coming to Jesus in need. He knew his need. Secondly, he would not be silenced. Don't you love this about Bartimaeus? Verse 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Oh, oh, okay, I'll be silent. No, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Unconcerned about the social norms, the social expectations, Bartimaeus just wanted Jesus. And he saw the resistance to getting to Jesus, the call for him to shut up as just all the more motivation to press towards him. Like Jacob who wrestled with God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Right? Bartimaeus resisted the identity put on him by society as an annoyance. And he said, no, my identity is with that man. And he would not be silenced. Gutsy faith. Number three, Bartimaeus asked the impossible. He asked the impossible. Jesus invites boldness of his children, doesn't he? Now, boldness is different than brashness. Listen to his words. What, the, the, his words are not, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? He had asked the disciples the very same question in just the passage before this one. And what did the disciples ask for? They presumptively asked for positions of power and prestige in glory. And this man, not in brokenness, I mean, not in entitlement, but in brokenness, was desperate enough to ask for the impossible. He dared to dream. 
He just wanted to be made whole. And so he asked the impossible. We do Christmas lists at the Hitchcock house each year. But I suspect some of you do that with your kids. And there was one Christmas list from this uh, past year, which was particularly noteworthy. I wish I'd kept it, but somewhere it got lost in the cleaning out of Christmas stuff. It was a list that started easy enough. Headphones, a movie on Blu-ray, and then things got a little more serious. An iPhone, concert tickets. Okay, until finally things got real serious. I want a harp. I want a trip to San Diego. I want a trip to London. And of course, it was a list, it was an asking that just couldn't come to pass. It didn't come to pass. But as a father, I love that kind of asking. Do you dare to cry out to the Lord? In such a bold way, not for material stuff like iPhones, but do you dare to cry out for that, the salvation of that hardened heart in your life? Do you dare to cry out that you can be made whole from that besetting sin, that that relationship can be restored? Blind Bartimaeus asked the impossible. Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. Matthew 7, beautiful passage. Which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then finally, This bold, gutsy faith of Bartimaeus is shown in this. He dropped everything in order to follow. Without hesitation, he dropped everything in order to follow Jesus. Now, everything wasn't much, right? It was just a cloak. But you can almost imagine, I mean, I don't know exactly how this scene went down, but you can almost imagine that cloak being spread across his lap filled with coins, and they tell him, Jesus is calling you, and boom, the cloak goes up, and the coins go everywhere, and the clanging, and the money. Who cares? I'm going to Jesus. Hebrews 12.1, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin that, sin clo- that which clings so closely, and let us Run. Run to Jesus. See, Bartimaeus, he didn't go home that night, nor did he stay on the side of the road. Bartimaeus was in the way. He was one of Jesus's. His life was forever altered. Brothers and sisters, Those of you who don't know Jesus this morning, he he invites you to boldly cry for his mercy. More than that, to let that mercy, to let that boldness give shape and definition to your entire lives. Amen. Let's pray together.
Hey, Father in heaven, we thank you for this servant whom you called to yourself, a man of no status, of no privilege, broken, bruised, and weary as a result of the fall, and yet your call was for him to come, to come in faith, to come in bold, gutsy faith. And you revealed yourself to him. You enabled him to come. Oh, Father, give us that kind of faith. Either for the first time here this morning or for the thousandth time here this morning and especially this week when it seems like all the wheels of our lives are coming off and yet we remember who we are in Jesus and what you have done for us and what that means for our lives. Oh, Father, send us with your grace. Send us with your spirit, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.